praying from God's perspective. Just some thoughts. What God wants us to gain through effective praying. If we want our prayer life to be effective, we do. We wouldn't be praying. So God wants us to pray in a certain way. He wants us to pray in regards to his perspective. He wants us to pray from his perspective, meaning we have to stop viewing prayer merely as means to get what we need or get what we want, I should say. Uh, oftentimes I find myself doing that. Uh, I bypass what God's wanting for me, and I'm just praying what I think I need or what I think I, I want. So prayer's more than just getting our needs met. So God's primary purpose for us to pray is for us to come to know Him, communicate with Him, have fellowship with Him. We do that through prayer, through, uh, through uh, a dialogue, conversation. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to worship him. We worship him in our prayers. While we're praying, we can worship him, call out to him, praise him. Um, prayer is also not only to know him and to worship him, but experience a transformation that we get from our praying. It changes our lives when we pray according to God's perspective. We're kind of in tune with God. We know what he, his desire is for us, and we're praying in regards to that desire to come about in our lives. So what can I gain from, an effective, from effective praying? What can I gain from praying from God's perspective? And I've listed five things, if you want to jot these down. First of all, what do I gain from effective praying? What do I gain from praying from God's perspective? First, our relationship with Him will become more real. Our relationship with Him will become more real. You see, it's, it's impossible, and I know you may have heard this before, but think about it this time. It's impossible to develop a real relationship with God without spending a significant time with God. Same way with our spouse or our family. If we're going to maintain a good relationship, a close relationship, there has to be some communication there. There has to be some time. You know, time spent. You know, there's a lot of young men today. Um, there's a, a problem with fatherlessness today in our nation, especially in the black community. Um, uh, they don't have a male role model. Fathers are kindly out of the picture. And then we wonder why we have so many, so, so many problems in our homes. And one reason is there's, there's no relationship between a father and their children, female or young males. And, and if we're going to have a relationship with the Lord, we're going to have to spend some time, significant time with God. And so that's, the, that's one benefit. Number two, to, to experience um, uh, the right kind of prayer life, uh, we need to experience uh, uh, an, uh, dependency on God. We need to um, uh, seek to be holy and live for God. We need to be able to meet God and pray and, and not have our prayers halted or by sin in our life, we need to make sure we confess our sins. He's faithful. He's just to forgive us, to cleanse us. And so we need to have an effective prayer life by, having, by meeting God uh, in the right way. And then this, uh, this effective prayer life, praying in God's perspective, number three, 
uh, we'll have more of ability to hear God's voice and uh, when we meet him in the right way. Um, you know, Jesus said his sheep will hear him and they would know his voice, John 10, verse 27. And oftentimes, um, unless we spend time with God in prayer, significant time, it's difficult to hear God's voice. We'll do a hurried, hurried prayer, and then all of a sudden, thank you, Lord, amen. And we've never paused to hear from God. We've been doing all the talking. So effective praying, and effective praying, we'll have an ability to hear God's voice. And that ability will drastically increase if we'll just spend that significant time with God. Number four, effective praying will result in an increase of spiritual power in our lives and in our ministry. Effective praying will result in spiritual power in our lives and in our ministry. Someone said that where there is little prayer, there'll be little power. Where there's little prayer, there'll be little power. Where there's much prayer, there'll be much power. And so we've kind of reversed the practice of uh, practice and the priority than what the early church was doing. What did the early church do? They prayed all the time. I mean, every time you find the early church in the Bible, you'll find where they were praying, praying for the disciples, praying for the church. They were constantly in prayer. They had a lot of power which simply means little prayer, there'll be little power, much prayer, much power. And that's what they practiced. They practiced much prayer and they had a lot of power. So we've kind of reversed the practice and the priority that the early church had. They spent time, a lot of time in prayer. You know, even um, when you go to Romania, services start at 10 o'clock. You get there at 10 o'clock. Really, that's prayer time, prayer time. And they pray for 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes longer. They just pray, they just pray. And, and everybody gets there for prayer time. It's not, hey, they're praying at the church, we'll, we, we're still good, we're still good. It's not time for the service to start. That's when their service starts, is with prayer. And they'll pray, and the women be on one side, and the men will be on the other side, and it's just like popcorn, some stand, then they'll sit and somebody else will pop up and, and they're praying for their families, they're praying for the service, for the church, praying for the sick. But after an hour or so of prayer, then the preacher walks in and he's carrying the Bible under his arm. He walks in down the aisle and, you know, you, those in the back kind of spot him at first, you know, and they catch him out the corner of the aisle. And the moment they see, not him, but the moment they see the Bible, they all stand in reverence for the Bible. And they've been praying for an hour plus, and then the preacher, and I was a guest preacher, and I'd walk in behind that preacher, and when that Bible walked in, carry that Bible like this, and that Bible walked in, the whole, you know, just people start standing. It's kind of like a wave when the Bible went by, they just kind of all stood. And I preached at, I preached at a couple of prisons and we, they brought all the inmates in. You don't want to go to a Romania prison. I mean, you don't want to be in there for any length of time. 
But these prisoners came in. These were rough dudes in that prison. But the moment that I got up with my Bible, they all stood. Everyone stood. Nobody sat. They weren't forced to. They just did that on their own. And so, and so this is the early church. They saw prayer as being significant, and they wanted to practice prayer. And for an hour, they met. And you got there for prayer time. That started the service. Prayer time started the service. It wasn't the music. And so I believe that we've neglected oftentimes because of time um, being rushed in our society that uh, we fail to pray and take time to pray. And so uh, in order to have an effective prayer life, we've got to spend significant time in prayer. That will give us a lot of power as a church, as an individual Christian. And then number five, effective praying will increase answered prayer. I said something, I believe, Sunday morning. Uh, you, you won't have a prayer answered unless you pray. And so the more we pray, the more we'll see answered prayer. John chapter 15, verse 7, list this verse. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, this verse has been uh, misinterpreted for years. If you abide in me, now we're in Jesus, we're, we're, we're baptized into Christ. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, here's the point. It's not an unconditional guarantee that any child of God can make any demand and have it instantly granted, whatever he wants. That's not what he's talking about. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will. Let me say that. This again, it's not an unconditional guarantee that any child of God can make any demand and have instantly whatever he wants or she wants. Now, I like what John Phillips says, one of my favorite theologians. He said this in regards to this verse. God is too loving and wise to put the key to his treasury into the hands of carnal worldly-minded, selfish believers. Wow. You get that? God's not going to do that. All of us from time to time would be selfish in some way or another. And, and Philip says, God's too loving and too wise to put the key to his treasury into the hands of carnal, worldly-minded, selfish believers. And so notice he says in this verse, this is what Philip says, the key to obtaining is abiding. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will or ask what you desire and it shall be done unto you. So the key to obtaining is abiding. The guarantee of receiving or obtaining is entirely conditional. If you abide in me, if my words abide in you, then ask your desire. Now, what are our desires? Our desires, remember, is what Christ desires. That's his will. Pray according to his will. 
So if you abide in me, this is conditional to have prayers answered. If you're abiding in him, following him, serving him, sticking close to him, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, it don't mean to go and memorize scripture. It means to obey scripture. Obey what he says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you ask what you will, ask your desire, being what God's will is for your life, and it shall be done for you. He says this, ask, ask what you will can be rendered demand as your due. He says the key to getting what we want is, is wanting what he wants. We talked about that briefly. So to have Christ's words abiding in us means more than just memorizing his words. It means meditating on them until they become a vital part of us. Jennifer, you sent me a devotional this week, and it's referring to of reading the Scripture and letting the Scripture just... Be, you become what the Scripture... You just become what the Scripture says. And um, so it means meditating on the Scripture until they become a vital part of us. And so when our interest... Uh, our, our interest in God's Word and in God brings about a different lifestyle in our lives. God changes us. He changes us. And then when, when His Word's abide in us and we abide in Him, His Word's abide in us, and we meditate on them and we think of them and they begin to rule our lives, but then we ask what we will, what your will is, Lord, let that be done in my life and, and it shall be done unto us. So what we want will be what he wants. That's the message. So when you pray effectively, your answered prayers will increase. You'll see things happen. Number six, I jotted this down. When we pray effective, our... Uh, we will experience a greater power to withstand trials and temptations and spiritual attacks. When we pray effectively in his perspective, <clears throat> we will have greater power to withstand trials and temptations and spiritual attacks. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we want to look at verse 3 through 5. Paul said, uh, let's look at uh, verse 1, Cal, if you have it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. This should sound familiar to you. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bowed towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bowed with that confidence by which I intend to be bowed against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk, in verse 3, in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, 
casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In verse 6, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so what he's talking about here is talking about spiritual war. And all of us are in a spiritual war. If you're a believer, you're in a spiritual war. We're in a war between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness. And if you don't realize you're in a spiritual war as a believer, you probably, probably captured already. Devil has a hold of you. But we, we're in a fight, and our fight's not against flesh and blood, but it's, it's spiritual. It's, it's against those, it's against the, the demons, the devil, the demons, and those in high the principalities, and, and so of a, of a darker world, and so that's who our war is against. And so uh, uh, he says we'll experience greater power to withstand the trials and temptations and spiritual attacks. He says you, you put on the whole armor of God through prayer. We pray on the armor. Shane taught for five or six weeks on the spiritual armor and the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, having the sword, the spirit, um, the word of God. So uh, we're in a battle. And so we need to put on the whole armor of God. And we do that through prayer. And when our prayer life is weak, or if it's inconsistent, or our spiritual defenses, uh, they're all down at that time. So we have to make sure we've got a great prayer life. And the more the believer prays, the greater will be our ability to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the less we pray, the greater the vulnerability we are. We're going to be, we're going to have some issues with the devil. So we have to be, have to be careful, have to be prayed up. So praying will increase answered prayer. Effective praying will increase power to withstand trials and temptations and spiritual attacks. And if you effectively pray for the lost, you're going to see people saved. And this is where God's convicted me, praying for the lost. Every believer can pray for the lost and backslidden. We all can. And so you and I, we need to have a list of lost and backslidden. Now on our prayer list, there are those that have the spiritual, they're under the spiritual concern. And so I believe uh, perhaps most of those may be, uh, some are lost and some are backslidden and some are, uh, uh, have uh, what for whatever reason drifted from God and so we need to pray fervently over people who are lost who we feel like have never demonstrated evidence that they've ever been saved now is it God's will for them to be saved yeah are we praying uh, God's will when we pray for them to be saved yes we are could God answer our prayers yes he can and so we need to realize how important it is to pray from God's perspective, not just what we want, but pray for those things that God desires. And one is to see people saved. So I really believe if we fervently pray over our list of souls that we'll see people saved. God will use effective praying. He'll use that in evangelism. He'll use it in missions, whatever it might be. 
And then I jotted down number eight. Effective praying will assist to bring revival and spiritual awakening in our church. And so uh, if you would look at Ezekiel 22. We're going to look at verse 30. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 says this. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Let me read that again. Ezekiel said, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. So we need to learn how to intercede effectively for our land. Um, we're in bad shape, and you're aware of that. Our country's in terrible shape. And uh, we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leaders. Uh, we need to pray that God would speak to their hearts, that we'd be, that we'd be turned to, uh, that they'd have, make godly decisions in regards to a number of subjects, abortion, uh, transgenderism, the uh, list goes on and on. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our land. The entire world is impacted when ordinary believers become powerful intercessors. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for our, our world. I've, I've gone to a, a prayer seminar from time to time by a person by the name of Greg Fitzgerald. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Greg Frizzle, Greg Frizzle. And this is a quote from him. He says, spiritually, no nation rises above the collective prayer practice of God's people. Spiritually, no nation rises above the collective prayer practice of God's people. And so the question is for us, just a little church here in Alabama, Phil Camel, Alabama, small country uh, church, are we ready to begin a powerful new relationship with God with an effective prayer life? Could we just kindly um, recommit ourselves, myself included, to have an effective prayer life, to pray according to God's will, His desire for our life, knowing that we're praying what he wills and knowing that he'll answer what we pray if it's in his will. So we need tonight just to personally pray and ask God, Lord, uh, help me, I pray. Remind me to spend time with you in prayer. Convict us to do that. Um,